According to the Gospel of Mark, the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days after he was baptized. In the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we get vivid descriptions of what these temptations were like. But Mark offers few clues about what this season was like for Jesus. We just get a little hint about some wild beasts and angels. It was actually common in Jesus' time for faithful Jews to go out into the desert on a spiritual quest. Whole communities of people lived in the desert, far from the distractions of human civilization in order to attain a purity of spirit. A few centuries after that, the first Christian mystics went on their own spiritual journeys, and to do that, they also went out into the desert. All of these people, and the generations of serious seekers who followed them, have discovered the same thing. The more you long to draw close to God, the more temptations you will find along the way. It's a paradoxical and extremely frustrating fact, but it's pretty much true for everyone. The life of the Spirit is not for the faint of heart because the path to God leads us directly through the darkest parts, not only of ourselves, but also of others. It's that second part of the equation that I have been meditating on lately. You see, Lent is set aside to be our own 40 days in the wilderness. And believe me, if you're even trying at all to observe Lent, you will be beset by your own temptations. Most often we think of these temptations as our own problems, something to overcome and power through. And if we fail, it is through our own fault and sin. But let me share with you something that I've discovered, not just with myself, but also noticed in others. I think that very often, the most difficult sins we have to overcome are not our own, but the sins of others that rest upon us. You see, when we head out into the wilderness, we don't go alone. We take with us all the people who have ever touched our lives, positively or negatively. Their goodness and love towards us sustains us and keeps us strong, but their own sins become our struggles too. So when we repent, we're not just repenting of our own wrongdoings, but also of the sins that have been committed against us, through us, the sins that continue to stick to us, to influence us, and to keep us from God. It is only by shedding these sins of others that we can truly find spiritual freedom in God. So let's go back for a second to Jesus' own temptations and to Mark's intriguing silence about them. Jesus was perfect. So what on earth was he doing out there in the wilderness? What did he have to repent of? What could he have been praying about? If all he was doing was reviewing his own spotless life, there would have been little reason for him to go all the way out into the desert. 
So I think that he was instead praying not about his sins, but about everyone else's. The sins that caused him to be born into a life of abject poverty, the sins that would cause him to be misunderstood and rejected when he was just trying to do good in the world, the sins that would eventually nail him to the cross through no fault of his own. When we say that Jesus is the bearer of our sins, it's true. He brought none of these things on himself. And in all honesty, we are not that much different. It's foolish to pretend that the things that make you ashamed of your own self are entirely your own fault. We learn bad habits and behaviors from other people, or we start them as ways to comfort ourselves because of things done to us that hurt too much. All this is not to say that we have no responsibility for our own actions. Far from it. Rather, to be totally honest in our Lenten reflection, we must be open to the idea that taking responsibility for ourselves includes the frustrating, the unfair, and the often excruciating process of taking responsibility for those who have come before us, who have hurt us, who have broken this world in ways that still impacts us today. It's not easy. Far from it. But shedding the sins of others is the only way to Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was helping my mom clean out the house that she and my dad had lived in for almost 20 years. If you've ever done a thing like a big move like that, you know that it is no small undertaking. There's the logistical part involving boxes and bubble wrap and endless trips to Goodwill, getting rid of junk that you thought you needed for decades, but it turns out mean absolutely nothing to you in the end. But there's also this business of unearthing things that had long laid dormant and hidden. Papers, pictures, objects that bring you face to face with the past. Things you hadn't thought about in years, all of a sudden, are right there in front of you. This was a house that my father built. It was his dream house. I loved my dad, and I was devastated when he died almost eight years ago. He gave me so much of who I am today. But as sons often do with fathers, we had a complicated relationship too. And there were many things done and left undone between us that took me years to let go of and I'm still not totally there yet. As I sorted through the mountains of my father's old papers and belongings in the very house that he himself had built, it was impossible not to have some of those old wounds reopened and some of my anger started to rise. There were all the good things I got from him. But in addition to that, why did I have to live with these other bits of spiritual and emotional junk that had been passed on to me through no fault of my own. It was probably the fatigue of having to pack up all these things, but I was in one of those self-pitying moods when, during the cleanup process, my mother 
brought out one of our special family relics. I hadn't thought about it in a long time, but there it was right in front of me. It's a simple wooden box. Absolutely nothing special about it at all. But it was made by my grandfather, my dad's dad. He was a mysterious figure to me. He died before I was born. But by everyone's account, he never said a single nice thing to my dad. He was a brooding hard worker who was sometimes prone to violence when he drank too much. And pretty much the only thing my dad had from him, his own dad, was this simple little box. Simple as it may be, there's so much to that box. My grandfather was born into complete poverty in a village in Lithuania. During the war, he was captured by Germans, and he never spoke about what they made him do, obviously because those things were too humiliating even to speak of years later. He spent five years in a refugee camp before emigrating to this country, where he worked on the janitorial staff of a General Motors factory in Detroit. He built his own dream house, but died of cancer shortly after it was finished. It was a little cottage on a lake in Michigan that he himself never got to enjoy. When I go out into the desert, I take these men with me. I take their strength, but I also take their sins. The sins of my grandfather's world rested on him. They were absolutely overwhelming, and he dealt with them bravely. But there was still a whole lot left over for him that he passed on to my dad, who in turn did a whole lot to redeem the pile that he was handed. But inevitably, there was some left over for me. Each of these men turned around an incredible amount of sin in their own lifetimes. And now it's up to me to sort through the rest in my own lifetime. You see, one of the spiritual tasks that each generation must take on is repenting of the sins that are bequeathed to them. And one's specific constellation of sin is never the same as someone else's. As we begin this Lenten journey, think for a moment about who you take out into the desert with you. What is in your own box that you carry out into the wilderness? It could be a parent or a family member, someone whose love for you was tinged by their own struggle with their demons. It could be a teacher or a mentor who was acting out of their own fear or insecurities. Or it could be a system of people who were indifferent to your needs and acted only in their own best interest. If we're being honest, it's probably all of the above and much more. That box is usually absolutely full. Whoever or whatever it is, their sin rests on you, for better or for worse. 
You did not choose it. You did not create it. And it isn't fair that you have to deal with it. But now, you have a choice. If you ignore the burden that has been laid on you, you will only perpetuate the cycle of which you find yourself a part. There are so many ways this can happen. We can internalize the pain of bequeathed sin and wind up hurting ourselves in the process. Negative self-image, getting caught in abusive relationships, addiction. These can all be consequences of someone else's sin that we hold inside ourselves. Or we can take that sin that is not our own and turn it outwards. It can be tempting to make other people feel bad, to feel just as bad as we do about ourselves. Or we could pass judgments on others out of our own sense of insecurity. Or, as so often is the case, we can become willing participants in a system of injustice. Scripture says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Sin flows through us like water through a river. But you are not alone in your sin. Neither are you alone in your repentance. Jesus may have been with the wild beasts, but he was also with the angels in the wilderness. If you have the courage this Lent to go out into the wilderness, you will be walking in the footsteps of the saints, each of whom bravely confronted the sins that they inherited and turned them into blessings. Jesus himself redeems our sins and transforms them into the everlasting life with God. Out of the wilderness and in the wilderness, you will have the most powerful of holy companionship. No one can end the particular cycle of hurt that you face. That's entirely up to you. But you can do this spiritual work alongside fellow travelers, each of whom is walking their own path towards God. And in that, you will never be alone. In fact, the gospel promises that the Holy Spirit herself will be your comfort and your guide. So friends, have courage. Because in God, there is nothing to fear. Spend your own time in the wilderness with courage. And there, you will be waited on by the angels of God. Amen.